it's exciting for anybody who's reading along finding bagpipe freedom with us because we're now reaching the point where we're going to find bagpipe freedom it, it the time has come yes let's, uh, let's do that thing but yeah, why I like I just recently actually just recently finished the Finding Bagpipe Freedom section in Piper's Dojo. But Andrew, I've been playing bagpipes for 20 years. So, why was I not already free? Why should why should I have to go back? It feels like going back and doing these things that you're telling me to do. Play for 15 minutes a day. What? Yeah. Why it, me? It why me should I do um... this? It reminds me of raising kids too, right? It's I think there's such an important distinction between raising kids that that are still alive by the time they leave the house, right? Mm. That's one thing you could do. Yep. Which by the way, which by the way, I think is better than nothing. Great uh, thing. It's a great yeah, thing. Like yeah, not bad. Is. Maybe you should yeah, that's definitely good. But but the thinking about that versus what I think I want to do is by the time my kids are ready to leave the house that they're actually fully independent human mm. beings that that they can exist on their own and make good decisions on their own without being reliant on other things and having having control and over the different <laughs> variety of different uh challenging situations and so on as much as re reasonably possible there's a difference there right i think there's a difference between being there's a difference between being and being free. Mm. Hence the Miyagi-Do Miyagi being headband. being free. I yeah. like that. That's beautiful. Like there's Cobra Kai and then there's Miyagi-Do. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's like Corvettes. There's like Corvettes and fancy cars and big houses. And then there's act actual personal sovereignty right? Like one does not necessarily represent the other. So I think a lot of pipers, you know, the finding bagpipe freedom is by default targeted to beginners and intermediates, but most of the advanced pipers I know could really use the book. Yeah. You know what I mean, because there's a difference between playing tunes and taking prizes in grade one or even professional. There's a difference between that and actually being able to use the bagpipe to actually express yourself and what your musical interests are. There's a huge difference. Yeah. So you mentioned in, in this introduction, in introductory section, you say that when you decided to implement the bagpipe for the finding bagpipe freedom, like system within the dojo, you decided to have everybody do it. Existing members, instructors even. And you say, let's see, you said, I changed the entire way that the Dojo University was structured so that every one of my students had to follow the bagpipe freedom process from the very beginning and go right back to basics. And then you say, after all, I've been teaching them for such a long time. They should be fine with this. They should get right through it. And then you say, exactly. wrong. Oh, was yeah. I wrong? <laughs> yeah. No. And of course, I knew that it wasn't going to go well, but yeah. the fact that it wasn't going to go well means I had done a bad job heretofore teaching mm. them. How'd that feel, Just Andrew? That, was, no, it felt, I, I love that kind of thing. I would way rather put myself out of business than have somebody else do it. There you go. That's a good you know way to I mean? look at it. So yeah, when you see that here's like a potential thing that could really represent a lot of improvement for people, even though it's going to cause probably a lot of frustration on all sides of things. But yeah, you got to go for it, I think. Right? Yeah. The back to basics things thing is probably healthy for anybody in any discipline to do periodically, like not just at the beginning of learning and not just one time 30 years down the road. Probably yeah. it's good to check back with this stuff pretty frequently. 
for sure. And if you're really good, phase one of the bagpipe freedom process, it'll be a 30 second endeavor. Mm -hmm. For example, somebody like Callum Beaumont, if I asked him to clap the rhythm of any one of his bagpipe tunes with accuracy, he's going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Surely. Right. And the hypothesis, which, you know, I, there's more and more evidence to support it as each day goes by. The hypothesis is that's why these players are so good is they mm. actually have real control over the real fundamental building blocks of playing. Yeah. Mm. It's fun that you say building blocks of playing. You use the analogy in this section of like building a house or a building, right? And this is a frequently used analogy. It makes sense that you want a firm foundation, a strong, intelligently engineered and built foundation to start with. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense for a beginner, a beginner, someone who's learning. But you also mentioned that for those of us who have been playing for a while, this might end up looking, you say, let's see, you say, if we've been playing for a while, it might mean that we need to strip back the decorative elements a bit to reinforce our basics, our foundation, as it were. Yeah. Any homeowner knows this, right? I don't know about you, Jim, but, but I want to build a garden in the backyard and I want to do some fancy landscaping and I want to repaint all the inside of the house and I want gas. I have an electric oven, but I want a gas range because gas ranges are cool. That's what Bobby Flay would have. So that's what I want. <laughs> and then I want to refinish the hardwood floors and redo the carpets. However, there's 14 million foundational bullcrap things that I'm constantly having to deal with, yes. right? And if I don't deal with it, the house is literally going to fall down. So I never get around to putting in my Bobby Flay gas ring. Yeah, my house was built in 1963. This is the game I play every single day. Yeah, yeah. I think I was like, I think ours was like 56 or 57. So I'm right there <laughs> yeah. with you. I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, have you noticed that the people that lived in your house, like the first generation, that they were like really not very good carpenters and <laughs> YouTube, like anyone, anyone who criticizes YouTube has not observed what previous generations did on the inside of homes. Like, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a carpenter, but by watching YouTube, it's like, whoa, that is a crappy shelf that this guy put in, in, <laughs> in the, in the garage. And let me just watch a guy on YouTube do it once and build like a way better shelf. Yeah. yeah but I digress. Yeah. I have, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has many times cursed the previous homeowners, just figuring all the intricate, weird, jerry-rigged things that are, that there are throughout the house. And maybe this is relatable to if a bagpipe instructor gets a new student and they have to start sussing out where did these issues, what, like where, what's under actually underlying the issues, right? And trying to like almost work backward to figure out what are the fundamental issues that are showing up as problems maybe elsewhere in a student's playing. And maybe this is something we need to do for ourselves as well and go like, why can I not get F doublings to work? Maybe I need to strip that crown molding off and go back beyond F doublings. Yeah and get back to really basics of rhythm. And maybe yeah. that's part of how I start to address my issue with F-doublings. I used to have an issue with F-doublings. And I remember, one. I remember almost in a single 24-hour period, I never had problems with F-doublings ever again. No. But let's keep going with this. And now this is obviously possibly totally fabricated. Just keep that in mind, everyone. But no, I remember that. I remember almost in the span of 24 hours, my, all my problems with F-doublings evaporated. But let me tell you what happened in that 24 hours. I remember I was practicing my pipes under the stage at St. Andrew's College in Ontario. And it was like in the green room-ish area underneath like the stage. 
And mm. I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, if I just line up everything I'm playing with the exact moment my foot hits the ground, that seems like it would be a good idea. So I started doing it. <laughs> and then like, weirdly, this huge sense of relaxation and control came over me. And I was mm. suddenly like radically in control of most of the things I was playing. And then I got to the fourth part of the you with the crooked horn, which I was heretofore struggling. By the way, heretofore, word of the week. Or Love like weird word. or weird compound strange word of the week. Because I think I've said it twice in this episode and possibly once in the previous one. But I digress. I'd heretofore struggled with the fourth part of the you with the crooked horn because it had tons of F doublings in it. And suddenly it was effortless. But that also, so that's a cool story. I love it. But, but it also points to the real problem with your F-doublings, if you're having it. Mm. The real problem with your F-doublings is your rhythm's not good. Yeah. It's not the I fact feel that, that, it's not feel the that, fact that there's real. two grace notes in a row. No, mm -hmm. sorry. That's not the actual explanation. The actual explanation mm. is you're unclear about rhythmically what's supposed to happen, and you're not, you're not asking yourself to be rhythmically accurate. What you end up with is just random finger spasm. Yep. Which only comes out sounding musical every now and then. Yeah. Right? It's Whereas like luck if you're the draw clear, every time. Right. Whereas if you're clear about rhythmic accuracy, exactly what a grace note should be and so on, and you have your foundational pieces all in a row, an F doubling is not a big deal. Mm. That's Maybe you still miss very... one or two. You might still miss sure. one or two, but it's not going to be like that problem child anymore. That feels like a really solid example of how this plays out for a player who's been playing for a while already and why it's worth it to go through this finding bagpipe freedom process, get back to basics, build up from there. But you also mentioned like using the same kind of analogy, how this is applicable to, to new students as well. And you mentioned here, you say nearly all of the pipers that I, you, <laughs> have ever encountered had it drilled into them that they needed to obsess over expression and embellishments and proficiency and other quite advanced level nuances of finger work. And often this is ingrained in them before they have even learned a simple tune. And then you ask the question, can you imagine anything that's going to suck the joy out of an enthusiastic learner more than that? And you also Amen. mentioned like, maybe we don't have to imagine it. Probably most of us have lived it. And I think that's true. I think a yeah. lot of people who play bagpipes have made it through. We wanted to play badly enough that we made it through some pretty terrible instruction to yeah. get to where we were playing pipes. Again, I think it's important not to misunderstand the message. So I love expression. I love embellishments. Those are great. When I'm playing and practicing, I, I love those things. And I want to hear that in my playing. And I want to hear that in other people's playing. However, it's for me, it's super easy. Now, see, so for me, I'm bagpipe teacher guy, right? It's so easy to just utterly take for granted super hard things that I do totally unconsciously without having to think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I generally play without crossing noises, but here's the other interesting thing. If I accidentally have a crossing noise, I can instantly fix the next occurrence of that to make yeah. sure it doesn't happen again. And I'm doing that without thinking about it. Maybe there's a little, oh crap, that goes off in my brain, like a little alarm bell, but then the crossing noise doesn't return again. That's not a common thing. And our students need to learn how to do it. And what's really messed up, and we've probably talked about this before, is that outliers can do it really right. easily. I think that's the reason. It. Yeah. I think I'm, that's the reason I'm here today in this beautiful headband speaking to you now is that I you was an outlier. I was an outlier that just instantly got it back at the beginning. Oh, no crossing noises. Got it. No problem. 
done. You're the one who messed it up for the rest of us. Right. You're the reason uh, that other people would say, he can do it. What's wrong right. with you? <laughs> it's just there are one out of a thousand six-year-olds can already basically understand algebra. But imagine if those are the only people that ever made it forward into the world of mathematics, that'd be a problem because algebra is an important thing. So we need a method of teaching it to people for whom it's not already natural. And mm -hmm. that, that's what the bagpipe freedom process is. It's let's go back to the basics. Hey, just let's double check. Let's just double check. Can you actually clap the rhythm of this tune accurately uh, with control? Just going to double and, check, uh, and then if the answer is, I'm assuming the answer is yes, and then we'll move on. But guess what? That assumption is a false nine out of ten times, at least at first, and then we work on it, and then we move forward. Yeah, that that's the thing to say. The you assume the answer is yes is a little bit of a trick because actually, probably the answer is no for most of us. Yeah, but there is the hopeful message that like if you have been playing music for a really long time, like you say, you you probably can address these things fairly quickly. If you've been playing bagpipes for 20 years, this doesn't mean that you're restarting the 20-year clock. It's probably going to be a much shorter time period to, to rush these things up. I would say to any advanced player who feels like they've hit a plateau, call me. Right? And call me and, we'll start, and we'll start by double-checking your rhythm. Just double-check it. Andrew, we'll, what... make sure, we'll make sure that it's good, and then we'll move on. But and that's, I'm saying that a little bit sarcastically, but I mean it 100%. Mm. Yeah, the answers lie, if you've hit that plateau, even if you're an advanced player, the answers lie somewhere in the fundamentals. I'd be willing mm -hmm. to bet a large sum of money. And this too, I guess, to, to tie the bow on, the, on the, the analogy, when you say that you love expression and intricate finger work, et cetera, those are the gas range. Those are the crown molding, et cetera. So what you're doing with Bagpipe Freedom is saying, look, get the gas range, but it doesn't make sense to move it into the house if there's not if there aren't solid beams underneath the flooring in the first place, because then the gas range is going to fall right through the floor. Set that True. stuff up first, then get the nice. It's like a, there. yep. It's like your Maslow's hierarchy of house needs. Oh, right? yeah. So mm -hmm. don't get the gas range. If you only have $10,000, don't spend 8,000 of it on the gas range when you need 9,000 to fix the foundation. Or, or don't buy a gas range if it makes it so you don't have enough money to buy food to cook on or in the gas range. Right? Or if you had unlimited money, yeah. if, or if you had unlimited money, where what repair would you do first? Would, mm -hmm. So you're going to get the gas range, but you wouldn't do that first. Foundation sure. first. Reinforcing the frame. There's probably even other things, like probably repainting the walls. Probably It doesn't make sense to get a gas range if the walls have finger smudges all over them from your dirty little kids who always have to touch the walls for some reason. Kids ruin everything. That's what I always say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. K-R-E. So for life. What that's does kids this ruin mean? Every, that's, a, that's an abbreviation of kids ruin everything. Oh, yeah. That's like the gang that we're in. The, yeah. The dads who are passively, aggressively hating on their children gang, yeah. I guess. It's, yeah. Dads who sit in rooms with no windows remotely talking <laughs> about bagpipe stuff for a very that's small right. audience with strange clothing articles on whose kids ruin everything for them. <laughs> Sounds about oh, right. Man, my, yeah, it's perfect. I did want to oh, we get forgot to mention. Wait, we forgot to mention with loving wives. With very loving wives. Yes. Very yeah. patient and kind and loving wives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to know what you mean by this phrase. You say you make a guarantee that this is going to help first of all. And then you say, perhaps, most importantly, you'll become a true musician, not just a bagpiper. Ooh. Is that inflammatory a little bit? Is that yeah. to stir us up a little bit? But also, yeah. 
is it serious? And if parts of it are serious, what does that mean? Yeah, it's really a, quite a loaded statement. Yeah, that's always been my problem. Yeah, be a musician, not just a bagpiper. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like trying to explain it either wouldn't work or would get me in a lot of trouble. So maybe we should just leave it at that. And if it's that gets challenge. you riled up, buy the book, huh? It's a challenge. So if you believe that a bagpiping is by default music making, right? Then it should be no problem for you to go through these simple bagpipe freedom steps. Right? Mm. So if bagpiping is real music, then you should be able to clap rhythms. Right? No problem. Makes sense. Yeah. That's, and by the way, I put myself through these same thought experiments. Right? That's cool. So if what I'm doing is actually musical, then needless to say, I should be able to take any component of what I'm doing and it should still be musical, right? Yeah. And then I often find, oh crap, no, that's not right at all. It makes no damn sense. I can't play this tune with no embellishments, even though I'm playing mm. it with embellishments on a regular basis. Like when I play it without embellishments, like it's all screwed up and not coming out right. That makes no damn sense. Now you're giving me this like existential crisis experience where I'm realizing that my resistance to simplifying tunes might have actually been trying to protect my ego because I realized yes. that I actually couldn't yes. play the tune. That's what it is. Without all the embellishments. <laughs> Take it from someone with a very large out of control ego, having put himself through most of these things, all of these things, that's exactly the problem. <laughs> How funny. Right? So I, I may, can see it now. <laughs> I, may have a, I may have an out of control ego, but my ability to purposely or my willingness to purposely break that down and have a look at the working parts is way better than yours. Not yours specifically, <laughs> just to, to the average listener, right? No, you so, can yeah, leave it at here that. Here I am. Because... I'm wearing a headband on national TV, but but I let's go there. Let's go there. Yeah. yeah. And it'll destroy it'll hurt your soul a lot. It'll hurt your soul yeah. a lot, but you'll come out a lot better on the other side, I think. And with a better perspective. Anybody ever get the feeling that this bag, like when things don't go well, bagpiping is so freaking stupid. Why did I spend all my stupid money on this stupid crap? I can't believe I do this. This is so stupid. How many of us have not felt that way? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. In fact, okay, you so, have a thing like that here. Go ahead. But that's exactly it. And then how do you solve that problem? It's not going to be continuing to do the same crap over and over again. Like how yeah. about go back? How about go back to the foundations? And see if there's any cracks in there that, you know, that if you take a slightly different approach angle, suddenly you might come out with a better perspective. Why yeah. do your F-doublings? Why do your F-doublings never come out right? My F-doublings, man. It's going to be a recurring theme because really this has been the struggle of at least a dozen years at this point. Do you get nervous when you perform? Where do those nerves really come from? Is it just because you just get nervous? Or is it because you subconsciously know you're not operating on a strong foundation and the mm. likelihood of crashing and burning is so high? And then you could even get more weird and philosophical about it. And it's like, now that my real purpose here is musicianship as opposed to just bagpipership. One is a subset of the other. Instead of just bagpiping, now my focus is really on music. It's now suddenly if things don't go perfectly, I'm less upset about it as well. Yeah. Takes the because away. it's because I know what I'm trying to do here and I know that sometimes it's going to come out good and sometimes it's not. 
And it's not a reflection of my self-worth if I make a mistake in the third part or if I have to cut out a little bit during the band mm -hmm. performance to make the best decision for the group or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah. Or if I had, or if the pipe major had to sit me out today just because I'm just not quite ready yet. It doesn't make you, doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a yeah. failed bagpiper. It's just, oh, I'm along my musical journey now and things are a lot more relaxed. Yeah. Not to say that if I'm it, perfect at these things. I, th I think if I got cut, I'd be pretty upset about it, but, but it wouldn't be that, but it would be something I think we could move on from. Yeah. You get over it eventually. Right. Maybe. Um, um, I think, however, you can play, but you got to take the headband off. <laughs> there you go. That's what they'll say. <laughs> you're going to keep that on for the plane ride over? Show up with that on? Maybe. It feels to me like maybe a great way to end with a beautiful promise is to quote directly from the section where you say, those who used to struggle with their bagpipe, resenting it, which to your point just a moment ago, I think yeah. we've all been there. Yeah. You say, now they can't wait to get home from work and actually do some mindful practice instead of quickly and rapidly getting through a few reps of their band sets just to get their piping over with for the day. Yeah. I mean, I when think did... I think it's kind of, that kind of reminds me of like the Barbie movie. I haven't seen it yet. Like, no, no me either. No, I'm just kidding. Me, no, me <laughs> either. But I, but that's, I think it's like irritating. It's painting an irritatingly unrealistic picture there. Ah, uh, Yes. But for the purposes yeah. of being slightly irritating. Yeah, it's a rhetorical tool, surely, in that storytelling, which I have not yeah. yet experienced, but I'm sure is delightful. But uh, this experience, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has asked himself, like, when did this thing I loved become a chore that yeah. I have to do? Yeah. And how do I rediscover that love? Yeah. And one of the episodes you want to do but I keep dragging my feet is the what is bagpipe status disease episode. And that, that is exactly when, just throwing it out there. We're not going to do the full episode right now, but that is exactly when it went from something you're passionate about to feeling like a chore. It's the exact moment that you trade musical fulfillment for status. Yeah, because the ego loves the status. Don't it though? Yeah, don't it though? Yeah, I'm Andrew Douglas. I like play with infrary and I am got the dojo thing and I wear headbands and whatever. Right. <laughs> and it's cool. So there's some status there, but the moment you lose the moment you lose interest in the musical part of it and and what's important musically and what's important about the whole process of playing the pipes. Once you let that fade off over to the side of the room and then the status becomes the primary target, things get interesting. Yeah. Things get interesting and complicated, and it's a very difficult thing to manage. Yeah, there's that whole, it's, it's fragile. It's like a thing that you've put on a pedestal, but it's really mm -hmm. easy to knock things off of pedestals. So that's a pretty fragile spot to put yourself. Yeah. Even something as simple as, oh, I'm leaving the wife and kids to go play at the Highland Games this weekend. You get to the Highland Games, and you get sat, and you don't get to play with the band. And mm. now you have to go home and explain, oh, I just left for the whole weekend, even though I didn't even get to play. That's a tough thing, right? It might, it might make you want to cut corners in your practicing and to just do reps and reps and reps and not actually work on your craft that much. Just get the thing to like some viable thing that's not going to get you cut from the band. But those are bad decisions made based on status, right? Mm -hmm. so, oh, I don't want to get cut. I don't want to get cut. So now I'm making bad decisions. Whereas 
the right decision would be you want to keep chipping away, keep working on the music, work on the foundation, do that kind of mindful practice, continue to immerse myself in all sorts of interesting music, continue to keep myself excited about that. So yeah, that's the moment where it starts to feel like a chore is mm. when you is when you start to favor the status more than the process. That's an interesting insight. Looking at those times in my life, I can definitely see that. What battle with it for sure. In and thinking about mm. I battle with it for sure. For sure, 100%. This is how I make my living, right? And how I and how we feed the family. So there's status wrapped up in that. It's oh, if I don't play good, then I maybe my status could take a hit and then but you have to try and still make all the good decisions for your musical development and stuff that you can. It's, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I need to simplify this passage or else it's not going to sound good in the band. Oh, but I'm Andrew Douglas. I can't be simplifying passages. There you go. You're going to use that. That's going to be the opening of the show, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm Andrew Douglas. I can't be simplifying these passages. Yes, you can simplify. I wear a headband. <laughs> yeah, I wear, yeah, I wear headbands. No, but yes, I can simplify the passages. And I do eventually come to the conclusion to do it. And then the good thing is that's a good decision and it won't be long before I can reintegrate the embellishments back into it. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's like you got to make those hard decisions. I recently had a, I recently had an experience where I had to turn off one of my drones preceding oh. a performance. The uh, Andrew Douglas. Exactly. Turned off a drone for a performance. Interesting. And it's extremely painful because you don't want to be turning off drones in front of all of your friends and teammates. That's not a cool thing. You don't want yeah. that. However, what's the alternative? I'm not going to turn off that drone. I don't need to turn it off. It'll be fine out there. No problem. But that would be like a mm. selfish, that would be a selfish sort of like ego driven move that wouldn't be good. And the pain of having to turn off the drone is nowhere near the total amount of pain that would be caused if something went wrong with it. But and it's also interesting that it has this effect, Andrew, that like, I'm probably not the only person who hearing you say that, now, now don't get me wrong, personally, I've turned off drones for funeral performances and stuff like that if things were going poorly. But now I'll have this little thing in the back of my mind, if I ever need to do that, I'll be able to think to myself, even Andrew Douglas did this. It's like the, the great, yeah, like don't forget, time, it's the great Andrew Douglas. <laughs> the great Andrew Douglas yeah. did this. It's okay. You have to say, when I'm, where I'm concerned, you have to say it out loud because it might not be implied. I <laughs> make it real clear. <laughs> yeah. But it like you don't have to do it for other Pipers. You don't have to do it. But yeah, for me, but for the great like, Andrew, for yeah. the great Andrew Douglas, you do. I, because I'm a lesser great. Yeah. Yeah. Ross Miller, when he put out the Roke, he was perfectly. Yeah, see, open. You didn't have to um, say the great. See, before his name, that you was didn't assumed. have to say it. Yeah. It was, we already yeah, knew exactly. he was great. Implied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he mentioned that he sometimes records his drones separate from his chanter. Yeah. And thanks for mentioning that. And he's been willing to talk about before too. Look, when I put out a YouTube video, that's after hours and hours of junk takes that I have to toss. And just that kind of openness, I'm not saying I'm ever going to play on the level of Ross Miller. I'm not. But there's something about our heroes, the people that we respect, our teachers, et cetera, being willing to be human that mm -hmm. kind of gives us permission to be human. And if nothing else, that affects the internal monologue in a positive way. Yeah. Don't misunderstand me, right? Like... When something goes wrong like that, it's, that's very bad, mm -hmm. right? So I might not succeed, but many, 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 many efforts have now been employed to ensure that's not going to happen again. Yeah, of course, it's you know preferable to have your maintenance yeah. up to date and all that kind of stuff so it doesn't happen. It sure. reminds me of like, 
And not exactly, but it reminds me of Tom Brady's Super Bowl comeback. I bet you if he could do it all again, he just would not have gone down by 33 points by the end of the third quarter. That probably you know would I mean? have been ideal to it's never like have did, gone down. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was able to pull it out and salvage something good out of it, which is pretty cool. And he'll go down in history for having that great Super Bowl comeback. However, that was like super crap what happened. And yeah. they would rather have just crushed them from the first quarter. And it is, it's the same sort of thing, yeah. So mistakes yeah. do happen, and you want to prepare for them not to happen. You want to have a strong foundation, allowing the absolute minimum probability of the big mistakes happening. Yeah. Like, that's all still true. But then they do still happen. But one thing that you can really do that'll help to mitigate those mistakes happening, that'll help you feel more just comfortable buy, and more confident, buy, buy, the buy that book. No, yep. no. What were you really going to say? <laughs> that is what I was going to say. I was oh, going to say, find, bag, say find Bagpipe Freedom no, uh, by buying the yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. So what were we even talking about today? We, I don't even remember. Oh, just the, building just the foundations. The, yep. Yep. Put the horse before the cart. And then, then you'll get all of your goods and services to their destination, I think, pretty successfully. So we don't want to put embellishments before the basic rhythm. And we don't want to put expression before good quality grace notes and crossing noises because those are the building blocks that are going to give us those things later we do want the gas range i do want to cook like bobby flay but we got to get we got to get the foundational elements in there and then i too can cook like bobby flay no you know what's really funny is i if i got the gas range i would still have to then to cook like bobby flay it's not gonna it's not gonna happen easily just by trying to be Bobby Flay, is it? No, I'm going to have to learn the fundamental building blocks of cooking. Right. And we're going to have to build up those skills and then to actually like to cook like Bobby Flay. Uh, uh, by the way, this probably violates all sorts of copyright now, but uh, this episode, but to cook like Bobby Flay, I'm going to have to build all those fundamentals, probably painstakingly over time in order to get the, these great nuanced, embellished, beautiful looking, amazing tasting dishes that mm. are unique and expressive of my own unique, creative cooking voice, culinary voice. So you're saying that all of my fantasies that someday when I get like a set of Atherton's and a Blair Digital Chanter, I'm probably not gonna immediately play like open level pipes just cause I have the equipment. I might still yeah. also have to work. You're not going to sound like Stuart Little. And then here's the really fascinating, really cool irony is as you approach being as good as Stuart Little, you'll completely lose interest in sounding like him specifically, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you, and instead, you, you will pursue, wait for it, your own unique creative thoughts and ideas and styles. Right? Put another way, we might even say I'll achieve bagpipe freedom. Huh? Exactly. That's what it is. And yeah, bagpipe freedom is all about putting you on the path to like doing your thing. And when I play with a band like Inverary or something, to a certain degree, I'm blending styles with Stuart and the other people in the band. And that's really cool. Yeah. It's probably my favorite thing is playing in pipe bands. Probably my favorite application of what I do as a bagpiper. But like, I can do lots of other stuff too. Hey everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. 
if you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.